that if you are returning to New England, uh, that you uh, quarantine for, uh, for 10 days at least, and that uh, you can take a COVID test on the seventh day and no sooner. And if you test negative, then you can uh, end your quarantine earlier. Uh, but I will say that if you are having any kind of symptoms, any cold symptoms, anything like of that, anything of, of anything like that, that you um, uh, just for everybody's sake, uh, just to um, uh, stay at home, uh, just to be cautious, just to prevent anything from spreading, uh, and just give it a couple days, take some meds, and see if it is just a cold or something more. Uh, just we want to be every, make sure that everybody is safe and we're not spreading anything. And uh, the other thing I want to remind you is that we are still collecting the uh, 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 prayer requests uh, for the booklet for 2021, so please submit those as well to, uh, to admin at sccnh.com, where you can write them, and I will make sure that, they, uh, that Marissa receives them and they can, uh, they'll be on the prayer booklet. And uh, I could have sworn there was something else, and I can't remember. Uh, so that's, uh, I'll leave it at that. Uh, so we will continue in kind of the Advent uh, uh, theme uh, for the month of December. And so for today, I'm going to uh, ask uh, uh, our sister Debbie Boyle to come up. She's going to read a uh, short uh, devotional. Uh, then right after that, uh, we will go into uh, some time of singing. Uh, Devin is away. Uh, speaking of traveling, Devin is away visiting family. And he will, uh, he'll be back before the 24th, but uh, he will be required to quarantine, so we won't be seeing him for a little while. And so Chris is actually uh, joining us today, next week, and also for the Christmas uh, Eve service. So, uh, so yeah, so let's uh, proceed with the Advent reading, and then we'll worship the Lord through some songs. This week we come to the story of the shepherds on the night Jesus was born. Our passage is from Luke 2, 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those who, with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And when they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The Lord fulfilled the promise that he made by sending his son. And to whom did the Lord decide to reveal this great and awesome news? A bunch of shepherds in the field outside Bethlehem. The Lord used those of the lowest classes in the Jewish culture to be the first bearers of the good news to their fellow man. God could have chosen the king. He could have chosen the high priest. God uses those who by worldly standards are nothing. And we light this candle this morning and rejoice with the shepherds, for God has hidden his truth from the wise and shown it to the little children and the least of these. Worship the Lord with me this morning. 
and exalt the God of the Man, how beautiful, how beautiful. Why don't we stand together and why don't we start today by singing one chorus that sums it all up. The angels summed it up for us in this beautiful passage from this morning. Amen. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. That's the linchpin. It's, it's the purpose. It's the point. And so let's just sing this beautiful, just not really a Christmas chorus, but a Christian chorus, Gloria in Excelsis Deo, a couple times, and then we'll jump into our first song today. Just our voices declare it together.
to see my sin upon that cross and I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross Amen
Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes. Amen. Lifting up the declarations of God. Glory to God in the highest. Come on. It's glory to God evermore. 
God, we thank you for Jesus, and we wrap our brains, our hearts, our minds around this idea this morning that it's all about your glory. Even Jesus coming to be born was not first and foremost about us. So God, let, let us look, let us see, let us feel, let us live every second of every day through the lens of God be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. 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 Well, let's, uh, let's express just our, our desperateness and our need for the Lord through spending some time in, in prayer. So if you would, just please bow your heads with me as I lead us in a time of prayer. Lord, your word tells us coming from the prophet said that that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, that his mercies never come to an end, that it is in this that he hopes, it is in this that he remembers, and therefore he has hope. Lord, we are needy, and we have so many different things that are in our hearts, in our minds. We have people in our, in our church who are, who are sick or recovering from illnesses. We have different trials and situations happening in our lives, Lord. And it's so easy to allow these things to be, to, to, to burden us and even cause us to doubt But may we look to your scriptures. May we look to the book of Ecclesiastes that tells us that, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That means that your love remains faithful to us and that it, it is there and it is always constant and it will be there forever and ever and ever. We thank you, Lord, because that kind of love, that love doesn't depend on our works, doesn't depend on how faithful we are. But regardless of our sins, our situations, regardless of the things that maybe we fail to do, and no matter how difficult our life gets, your steadfast love never, ever, ever ceases. And that gives us hope. Lord, and we do pray for our church. We pray for those in our church who are sick, who are recovering from surgeries, who are recovering from illnesses, from hospitalizations. God, we pray for their healing. God, we pray for their recovery. We pray that you may protect them from becoming any worse. God, we are eager to see them again. 
So we pray for their healing. We pray for their restoration. God, we pray for those in our church, for, uh, for those who have, who for the holiday season is mixed with some sorrow, Lord, because the loved ones are no longer with them. God, may they be reminded that your steadfast love never ceases. Remind them, Lord, of that glorious truth that they may rest in you, that no matter how difficult it gets, that there is a God in heaven who loves them dearly. We thank you, God, for such abounding love that you have for your church. Father, as we think outside of our church, we think about global missions. Lord, we pray specifically for those engaged in medical missions, for those who are, who are trained as doctors or as nurses, Lord, who are out in the field and looking to help those in need with their physical ailments, Lord, as an opportunity to preach the gospel. Father, we pray that you may help them and keep them and make your face to shine upon them. We pray that you would give them boldness in the opening of their mouth to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that along with cures, along with vitamins, along with medicine, that they may also have the boldness to share the good news of the gospel that results in salvation. We pray for their work. We pray that you may sustain them and that you may cause the fruits to bear the seeds to, to cause uh, the, 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 the seeds that they sow as they meet these different needs, that they would cause them to grow and bear fruit unto salvation. Father, we pray for like-minded, we pray for sister churches that have perhaps lost their place of meeting due to COVID for churches that that just cannot meet under these circumstances, Lord. God, we pray that you may remind them that your mercies are renewed each and every day. God, we pray that your grace would still be mediated to them, even through a screen, if that is how they are meeting. We pray that you may sustain these saints who are desperate, who are longing for physical uh, interactions with other believers. God, we pray that you may strengthen them and help them and grant them great patience. Lord, we pray for those in our church who are, who are faithful and watch this via online but cannot be here on Sunday mornings. We pray that your grace will sustain them as well, Lord. Father, we pray for our country God, we pray for the protection, Lord, of our religious freedom. Father, we pray that you would put the right people, the right protocols, the right things in place, Lord, that may protect this wonderful and great privilege that we have, Lord. That you would protect churches, that you would protect Christian organizations and ministries, that you would protect Christian schools that they may continue to have the freedom to teach and to proclaim the gospel in their context. 
And along those same lines, Lord, we pray for those who are in, who are teachers, for those who are in the, uh, who are in education. Father, we pray that you may be with them, that you may give them the grace and the patience to be able to teach these students through a screen. We pray that you would provide wisdom and guidance. Lord, we pray that the light of the gospel would be so evident in, in their speech, in their teaching, Lord, in their lives, even if it's through, if it's through a screen. We pray for them. We pray that you would give them boldness, that you would give them wisdom, help them to be as cunning as serpents working in the secular world. And that they may teach all to the glory of God. Lord, we we trust you for all these things. We look forward to all that you are going to do. Lord, and we join our hearts together this morning and we conclude by praying the prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would please turn to Luke chapter 18. We'll be reading verses 1 through 8. We're continuing in talking about the, the marks of the church. Spent some time talking about preaching, worship. And the subject of today's sermon is prayer. We're turning to Luke chapter 18. We're reading verses 1 through 8. Luke 18, verse 1. And he, and his Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on earth? Father, we pray for the preaching of your word. Father, we pray because we know that we need you, and we know that these words, that my words, and as imperfect as they are, and even your word, as, as, as alive as they are, needs the Spirit to work so that we may receive your word. 
planted deep within our hearts. We pray that you would do that work, Lord, that only you can do this morning. We trust you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many of you have heard, or perhaps have even read, The Pilgrim's Progress. There's a Christian allegory about a man named Christian who discovers that he is a sinner. He's weighed down by his sin, and he seeks to be alleviated of the burden of sin. So he flees the city of destruction that is the world, and he's on this journey to the celestial city. And there's a lot of different things that he encounters on his way there. He meets different characters. Like for example, he meets the evangelist who is eager to help people on this road to the, to the celestial city. He meets others like hypocrisy. You can assume what his, this character is about. He meets another character by the name of Pliant who, is, who joins Christian early on, but because he lacks courage and the resolve, he immediately turns back at the first obstacle. Another character is Mr. Worldly Wiseman, who's a moral man and well-respected man, and he almost convinces Christians to settle down in the city of morality. Another character is Formalist, who, who is very well acquainted with religion, but not with the spirit of religion. So all these characters and all the things that Christian experiences on this journey are intended to really to be a reflection of the things that we experience as Christians, the different temptations of the world, the different ways that the world seeks to pull us from our Christian walk. And even though this is a Christian allegory, there's a lot of things that it gets right. And one of the things that it gets right, it's its presentation of the Christian life. It really helps to show us that the Christian life isn't this, uh, this always joyful and happy experience, this great adventure, like, uh, like you're walking with Pooh and his, uh, Winnie the Pooh and his pals. But it's actually a pilgrimage. Jesus, in the gospel, says that his church is, a, is, called, is to be called a house of prayer. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches the gospel and thousands of people believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, one of the first things that they devoted themselves to was prayer. So in these passages and in others in the New Testament, we see that prayer is an essential mark of the church. But one other reason why the church is to be marked by prayer is because life itself, the Christian life itself, is a pilgrimage. We are leaving the city of destruction and headed towards the celestial city. So what I hope to do this morning is give you at least three different reasons why the church, or in a personal matter, why the Christian should be marked by prayer. And the first is the necessities of this pilgrimage. And one of our needs in this pilgrimage is our need to confess our sins to the Lord. But this, is what, this is what the Scriptures tell us to do. Confess your sins to the Lord and you shall be forgiven. Now, we are made pilgrims in the first place by the gospel. Right before, before believing in the gospel, right, you belonged to the city of destruction. You belonged to the world, a child of the world, a discipled under the world. Following the course of this world is what Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. But then in believing in the gospel, right, you, at one time you recognize your need for the gospel, you recognize your need to have this burden of sin taken off your shoulders. 
and you believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, trusted in Christ who died on the cross for your sins, paid the penalty for your sins so that you can receive forgiveness of your sins and be declared innocent and righteous. And in that moment, right, being sealed with the Spirit of God, you're turned from a, being a child of the world to a child of the living God, and you're set on a path that is no longer on the path to the city of destruction, but you're set on a path that leads to the celestial city. Completely forgiven of our sins, and yet we are called to confess our sins regularly to the Lord. Why do we need to confess our sins to the Lord if we have been forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future? We are called to confess our sins to the Lord, not only because the Scriptures tell us to, but because we still sin. Right? There are no perfect Christians. In this pilgrimage, we sin, we make mistakes. Sometimes we might deviate from the right path. And so we confess our sins to the Lord. And we trust in His forgiveness. Right? And we don't confess our sins to the Lord because the moment that we sin, God stops loving us. But God's love continues to abound. God continues to love you. It's like when a child disobeys his parents. Right? You don't stop loving your child because they disobeyed. But you do ask them, you do call them to recognize their error, to acknowledge their error, and ask and to be sorry, to ask for forgiveness, right? And you are more than eager to forgive them. But it doesn't mean that you have loved them any less, but you continue to love them. And it's the same way. The Lord God continues to love you. But it doesn't mean that we never stop confessing our sins to the Lord. It's actually a mark of a healthy relationship when you go to a person that you've offended and you say, I'm sorry. And in the same way, it's a mark of a healthy relationship. When we go to the Lord and say, we have sinned, God, I have sinned, would you please forgive me? And also trust that the Lord has forgiven you. And confession is a reminder of the gospel. It's a reminder to rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in this pilgrimage, why we have this need to continue to confess our Lord to maintain this healthy relationship with Christ. Not only that, but in this pilgrimage, we are combating worldliness, right? The world means to make disciples of you. The world means to take you out of the pilgrimage and send you back on the road of the world. In First Thessalonians 5.23, it says, may, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Part of the aim of being on this pilgrimage to the celestial city where God dwells is to be conformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. God means to make us more like his son. And sometimes, or many times, the way to make you more like Christ is to have you go through different trials. We don't like trials. We don't want any trials. We wouldn't wish, wish that on anybody else. But trials, many times, are the most effective means of sanctification, of growing in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Sanctification 
in part, is a passive endeavor where we trust in the Spirit of God who dwells in us to sanctify us, but it is also an active endeavor. There's a reason why many Christians will not pray for patience, because if you pray for patience, well, then you know that you're going to be tested in times where you're going to be required to test that, to have that patience tested. But as a Christian, right, we desire to be conformed to the image of Christ. So patience is one of the things that we should desire. Right? So you, do you desire patience? So then you shall be tested. Do you desire self-control? Well, then you shall be tested. Now, if you desire a life, a Christian life of relative ease and comfort, now, then, then don't pray. Now, yes, because God loves you, because God means to make you more into the image of his son, he will introduce trials in his life to make you more like Christ. But if you want your Christian life to be a little easier than it is now, then it's probably better to not pray because then you won't go through situations where you'll be tested and be conformed to the image of Christ. If you don't desire to be more like Christ, right, then don't pray. But if you don't desire to be more like Christ then I wonder right, if you are truly saved. Because the desire of the Christian is to grow into the conformity of the image of Jesus Christ. The Christian desires to be more like Jesus Christ. Because he loves Jesus Christ. If you desire to be like Christ, then you pray. And then you expect to be put to the test in some ways. And the testing is not intended to make you fail. God means to give you what you need to pass the test. But testing is necessary. It's like the, like a, a man who desires to put on 20 pounds of muscle is not going to do so by sitting on the couch eating potato chips. Right? But those muscles have to be tested and so the f- muscle of faith needs to be tested from time to time. But then that leads to dependence. The Christian should be marked by prayer because he depends upon the Lord. She cries out to help for God when there's a time of testing, when there's trials, when there is suffering. Prayer is a heart's cry to God for help. Psalm 18.6 says, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. We cry out to the Lord because we depend upon the Lord, because we need him. We need his strength. We need his grace. We need his mercy. We need his wisdom. And you ask, and you ask, and you ask until you receive an answer. And you keep knocking, and you keep knocking, and you keep knocking until the door is opened. And not only do we pray because we need to continue to confess our sins to the Lord, not only do we pray because we have so many different needs in this Christian walk and we cry out to God, but one of the reasons why we pray as Christians is because prayer is a wonderful and it's a great privilege that you have this unrestricted access to God, that you can call out to him at any time, at any moment of the day, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, you can call out to the Lord. 
Imagine, let's say you had, it's a wonderful privilege, it's like knowing Tim Tim Cook or Bill Gates or say the CEO of your, of the, of the make of your car, Toyota, Honda, whatever it is, your computer breaks down, your hard drive crashes, or you have these mechanical issues in your car, and all you have to do is pick up the phone and call that guy or call Tim Cook and say, hey, my computer broke down. And all he has to say is, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Go to this Apple store and get yourself another one. Or go to this Toyota dealership, talk to this guy, tell him I sent you. I got you. Right? I would love to have that kind of connection. And we have that kind of connection with God. So it is a wonderful privilege that we have to be able to communicate with God. That we can ask him for help. That we can ask him for wisdom. We can ask him for guidance. And then as we look outside of our own needs that compel us to be a people of prayer, we also, right, we also try to recognize and remember the needs of the family of God as well, right? because we're not the only ones who have needs. We are surrounded by brothers and sisters who also have needs. Ephesians 6, 18 tells us, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. What you care about is what you pray about. And one of the things on the top of that list of the things that we care about should be the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you love the family of Christ, then you will pray for the family of Christ. You will pray for the brothers and sisters that you see here this morning. You will pray for the brothers and sisters that, are, that join us regularly via live stream. You will pray for the brothers and sisters in your small groups. Because you, because you love them. It's one of the things that I enjoy about having our, our small, our community groups, right? That we, our groups get together each week and they pray for the different needs. Right? It's one of the purposes why we have those groups in the first place to make your needs known, and to have people praying for you. It's one of the reasons why we encourage people to submit prayer requests for the prayer booklet so people know how to pray for you throughout the year. I don't know about you, but I find it, I find it to be a great thing that I know that people are praying for me. It's such a wonderful and genuine act of love. So we pray for one another as an act of love. We pray for one another because, people, because we know that we're not the only ones who depend upon the Lord. Right? Just as Jesus was praying for Peter and his, or as his hour of temptation was coming, he prayed that I, he said to him, I pray for you that your faith may not fail. There are brothers and sisters who are going through different things right now and could use that prayer that their faith may not fail. And that requires that we are transparent about the things that we are struggling with, the things that we need prayer for. Because we're all on the same pilgrimage together. So one way that we love others well is by praying for them. So outside of the family of God, we look out to the lost as well. 
But one of the reasons why we are marked by prayer is because there is the necessity for salvation of the lost. Romans 10.1, the Apostle Paul says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Speaking about his Jewish brethren. Right, do we pray in the same way? Right, for our loved ones. My heart's desire and prayer to God is that this person may be saved. Or even some thinking about you, my heart's desire and prayer for God is that this person who means so much to my brother or sister may be saved. Because in this pilgrimage, right, we encounter a lot of lost people outside of our own family and close friends. And they need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've said before that I think the most effective means of evangelism is relational evangelism. It's, it's the slow, gradual work of establishing relationships with coworkers, with neighbors, getting to a place where they can trust you, where you have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Relational evangelism, that kind of evangelism, begins by first praying for those individuals and praying for opportunities to share the gospel because they will not be saved apart from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there is that great need in the world for the salvation of the lost, and so we pray. And related to that, there is the need for worldwide gospel proclamation as well. Ephesians 6, 18, again, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Even the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle of Jesus Christ, who was an evangelist, a missionary, preaching the gospel, planting churches, even he himself needed prayer to, for boldness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in the same way, not only do we pray for our own boldness, but we pray for the boldness of missionaries across the globe, from Bible translators to those engaged in medical missions to those who are in desolate places preaching the gospel. We pray for their boldness to preach the gospel. The saints need boldness, so we must pray. Hardships are real, so we must pray. Persecution is real, so we must pray. 1 Timothy 2, 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In that passage, we see the heart of God. God does not delight in the perishing of the wicked. He doesn't. But he desires for people to come to the knowledge of the truth. And for that, we must pray for the gospel to be proclaimed in every part of the world. Because no one will be saved apart from believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So because we have our own personal needs, because of the great privilege of prayer, because you have needs, because of the need of the gospel, this pilgrimage is marked by prayer. The church should be marked by prayer. And second, the nature of the pilgrimage demands that we be marked by prayer. Ephesians 6, chapter 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, putting at all times in the Spirit. So here, Paul is telling us that the nature of this pilgrimage is one of spiritual conflict. Otherwise, he wouldn't be telling us to put on an armor. You don't put on an armor in times of peace. You don't put on an armor when you're going to bed under the covers at night. You're putting on armor when you are engaged in some kind of conflict. Paul is telling us Christians who are on this pilgrimage don't wear bathrobes and pajamas. A soldier who's engaged in conflict enters the battlefield in pajamas as a laughingstock, as a fool, and also considered an easy target for the enemy. They'll be competing to take that guy out. Oh, look at the guy in pajamas. $100 to the guy who takes that guy out first. John Stott, in commenting on this passage in Ephesians, says, This fourfold emphasis on the need to stand or withstand shows that the apostles' concern is for Christian stability. Wobbly Christians who have no firm foothold in Christ are an easy prey for the devil. And Christians who shake like reeds and rushes cannot resist the wind when the principalities and powers begin to flow. Paul wants to see Christians so strong and stable that they remain firm even against the devil's wiles and even in the evil day. For such stability, both of character and in crisis, the armor of God is essential. And then what holds... Well, the way that we deploy this armor, that we put on this armor and hold it together, is prayer. Hence why he ends this whole, this whole passage on putting on the armor of God by prayer or with prayer. So we put on the armor of God, and prayer is the means by which we keep alert. A soldier engaged in conflict is always on the alert. In Matthew 26, 36 to 41, Jesus takes his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, and takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, further into the, into the garden to pray as he's enter, about to enter into his crucif- hour of, of testing and crucifixion. And he comes back to his disciples, and he finds them sleeping. He says to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Prayer, prayer is not needed in times of peace. 
But the fact that we are required to praise shows us that this is a time of peace. I like the way that John Piper puts it. He, thinks he's, he says that prayer is like a wartime walkie-talkie. You take that out and you call out to the general for, for aid, for strength. And on this pilgrimage, we make our way to the celestial city, celestial city of heaven. And get this, that in that city, that in that heaven, there's no more need for prayer. Because why do we pray? We pray to be conformed to the image of Christ. But when we reach the celestial city, we will be conformed perfectly to the image of Jesus Christ. We will not need to pray for strength. We will not need to pray for patience, for self-control, because we will be like Christ. There will be no need for this process of sanctification. We will have been perfectly sanctified when we see Jesus face to face. We pray now because we desire to commune with God. We desire to be drawn near to God, but when we reach the celestial city, we will see God face to face in the person of Jesus Christ. We will talk with him as a person talks with another person face to face. It will be an absolute time of peace. But now, we are required to pray. And that's what helps us keep alert. A soldier in the battlefield, if you've been warring all day, and at nighttime, his fellow soldiers go to sleep, and he gets a particular watch in the night. He's required to stay awake, but he is dead tired. He's walking along listening for any disturbing sounds. He's tired. He decides to stop by a tree, decides to lean in, rest his head, and he falls asleep. But the moment that he hears a twig break, he's going to wake up, and he's going to have his rifle at the ready, ready to engage any enemy combatant that may be out there. Right? Sometimes... Sometimes we can fall asleep. But that soldier is always in a position, and is in a state of alertness, listening for any disturbing sounds. And the moment that he wakes up, that slumber, that drowsiness, that sleepiness is immediately gone. I don't know about you, but in this pilgrimage, I want men and women who are mighty who are standing firm in Christ and not looking for couch potatoes. Because sometimes, right, I fall asleep. Sometimes I need that nudge. Hey, wake up. In a Christian life, this pilgrimage is not like Winnie the Pooh and his friends, but it's more like the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, nine companions out to fight the forces of evil helping each other, confronting evil, encouraging one another, helping one another. Right? This is what this pilgrimage is about. And for that, we need not sleeping Christians. We need alert and awake Christians. So for these reasons, the Christians should be marked by prayer because of the nature of this pilgrimage. Not only that, but the Christian but the church is marked by prayer because of the call of this pilgrimage. We are called to give credit to whom credit is due. Psalm 50 says, Call upon me on the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. 
the one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice, glorifies me. The call of of this pilgrimage is to glorify Jesus Christ, to glorify the God who has transferred us from the domain of darkness and has put us into the kingdom of his beloved son, of God's beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And it's not a guarantee that no matter how often we pray that we will receive everything that we will ask for. But when we do, Christ is the one who receives the glory. We call out to help. He sends his aid. We send back worship and praise. And the question is not a matter of if, but when. And sometimes that answer may not be in the way that you desire or wanted, but the Lord will answer. You wait and wait. Sometimes children provide a wonderful illustration. Just the other day, we sat down in the morning for breakfast and Kaylin had bought these cinnamon buns that this lady in Dover made, and they were exquisite. We sat down, and we were about to eat them, but we didn't have forks, and Kaylin asked Elena, can you get some forks, please? And she says, oh, sure. So she goes to the kitchen, opens up the drawer to get some forks. She finds a fork for Dad, and she's trying to find a fork for her and for her sister, some plastic forks, and she's not finding any. She's browsing, she's looking, she's looking. Meanwhile, my patience is tested because I'm there, and I'm really, really hungry, and I have this delicious cinnamon bun sitting in front of me, and all I want to do is just chow down. And I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and Kaylin is laughing hysterically because she sees the anxiety in my face, how eager I am to eat, but Ken, Elena is taking her time. And so Kaylin says, check the, the, the dish rack. So she says, okay. She says, oh, I can't reach it. So she goes back and grabs the stool and brings it over there, and gets up, and starts looking, and looking, me now, I'm still waiting, I'm still waiting, I'm still waiting, I'm really wanting to eat. But the question is not, it wasn't a question of if I'm going to get my fork so I can finally eat, it's a matter of when. The Lord has the answer, the Lord has the strength, the Lord has exactly what you need. It's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when, when is the answer going to come? But you can rest assured, just as, I was, just, as I was rest, just as I was assured that I knew that Elena would eventually come back and give me my fork, so you can also rest assured that the Lord has an answer and will come. And when he comes, right, you give him the glory, you thank him and you worship him. We owe our salvation to Jesus Christ. We stand today is because of Christ. If we reach the celestial city, it is because of Christ. And we have the promise of John chapter 6 that tells us that those who are his, Christ will not lose. So then to, to conclude, I want to bring us back to the parable of the persistent widow. So you have this widow who is going before this judge over and over and over again. You have no idea what kind of justice she's looking for. But all you know is that she's looking for some justice and she keeps going to the judge, pestering him, bothering him until she gets what she wants. And this man neither fears God nor fears man, but, she, but he answers just to get rid of the widow. But it shows that this widow is persistent. In a few weeks, I'm going to be preaching on the life of Adoniram Judson, some things that we can glean from his life. And Adoniram Judson was imprisoned for some 
time and his, and his wife was persistent. He was unjustly imprisoned, and she's going to rule her. She's going to all these places. At the same time, she has a nursing baby to take care of, and she's traveling for a walking miles and miles to the judgment of her own health. And she did all these things, advocating for her husband because she was absolutely desperate to get him out of there. When we talk about prayer, one of the things that is often asked is, how much do we pray? How often do we pray? And the Bible answers. The Bible says, pray without ceasing. We saw in Ephesians 6, it says, pray at all times. Does it mean that we should be getting on our knees and praying 8, 10, 12 hours, giving up our jobs, praying just 24 hours? Is that what those passages are saying? I don't think that's what it's saying. It's trying to tell us is that this line of communication between us and God through Jesus Christ is always open and that a Christian who is marked by prayer is praying regularly. Sometimes it means getting down on one knees for an hour in the morning and praying. It, might, it means perhaps even just a sentence throughout your day. God help me. The Christian that prays is one who prays regularly throughout the day, who is praying often. As I was thinking about this pilgrimage of going to this celestial city, the nature of this pilgrimage is also one of desperation, right? Because we need the Lord. We experience trials and tribulations, right? Some of us suffer. Some of us goes through, we have these temptations. We have the world who is seeking to pull us away from this path. We have our own personal worldliness that means to pull us away from the, from the, from the discipleship of Jesus Christ. So we need the Lord. That makes us desperate men and women of God. Not only that, but we desire to be conformed to the image of Christ. We desire for holiness. So we are desperate for holiness. We desire, we're desperate for more of Christ. We are desperate for more knowledge of his word. We are desperate for heaven. Now, it's easy to ask for these things, to pray for these things as a sense of duty. Oh, I should be praying for these things because the Bible says that I should be praying for these things. So I'm going to pray for these things. But do you pray for these things out of duty, or do you pray for these things because you crave it, because you desire these things? If you don't, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are not a Christian. It just might mean that you are asleep, that it's time to wake up. Desperate times call for desperate prayer. And these are desperate times, and so we must pray. We must be marked by prayer. We have to be praying on a regular basis. It's one of the reasons why we have a time of pastoral prayer on Sunday mornings. It's it's the reason why anytime we gather together, we pray. It's the reason why our, our, our small groups pray. And the point is, of the parable, is that it's not, that, it's, to compare, it's, not, it's not to say that God is like this judge who gave this woman justice just to get rid of her. But the point of the, part of the point of that parable is to show what God is not like, that God is a loving father, that God loves you, and that he's not this judge who is reluctant or ambivalent to give you what you need, but he's actually more than eager and delighted 
that not only that you would come to him, but also that he would have the means to alleviate your distress. And we see on the parable that this woman is marked by prayer, and that's the kind of prayer that Jesus is calling us to. How much should you be praying? Right? I would never answer that question by saying you should be praying three times a day, five times a week, anything like that, because the Bible doesn't say that. But instead, if you were to ask me how, you sh- how much you should be praying, I would answer with a form of question. If you're asking me how much you should be praying, I would in turn ask you, well, then how, well, how desperate are you? How desperate are you? Because desperate Christians will pray often. Desperate Christians will pray regularly. They will pray frequently. And so the question should not be how much should we be praying, but the question is, are you desperate? So before we transition to a time of singing a last couple songs to worship the Lord, we're going to celebrate communion this morning. Uh, so if you didn't, if you happened to come in and didn't get your communion uh, cup, uh, please, uh, they're in the table by the entrance. So as we think about this pilgrimage, as we think about... Actually, I should grab mine. But as we're thinking about this, this pilgrimage and how... As a church, as Christians, we should be marked by desperation. The Lord's Supper, I think, reminds us of that desperation. Reminds us of the death and burial of Jesus Christ on our behalf, who died on the cross for our sins, so that we may be declared innocent and righteous, so that we may receive entrance into this celestial city that awaits us. And as Christians, right, we are desperate for that day. We are desperate. We are anticipating. We are longing to see Jesus Christ face to face and to be in this place where there will be no more suffering. There will be no more need for prayer. So this this communion points us to what Christ has done, and it points us forward to the day where we can take this as a family meal, with Jesus Christ. And so, I want to do this together with you this morning as a church, but even if you're not a member of Seacoast Community Church, if you are a Christian, if your life is marked by the holiness that God requires, walking in repentance, by not perfect righteousness, but as a sinner saved by grace, walking in, uh, in, in, in this life of repentance, walking in this pilgrimage, if you received baptism, then you are invited as a brother or sister to join us in this, uh, this family meal. But if you have yet to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have yet to be walking on this pilgrimage that leads to the celestial city, then I ask that you just refrain from taking this meal with us. Because 1 Corinthians 11 warns anyone from taking this meal in an unworthy manner that is apart from faith. And anyone who does so, would be doing so, it would be... Uh, receiving a judgment from the Lord, and I would want to spare you of that kind of judgment. But instead, reflect on what you've heard this morning. Reflect 
on this Christian pilgrimage, reflect on the celestial city that awaits those who have entrusted their life to Jesus Christ and consider trusting in the gospel this morning. Right, as believers, let us be reminded that we have been forgiven by Jesus Christ, that we can rest in the gospel, and that we are headed towards heaven. That is our home, not here. And so, we'll take the bread or the wafer first. In 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul says, What I received... For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take this together. And in the same way also, Jesus took the cup and said that this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this blood, or this cup, sorry, you proclaim the the Lord's death until he comes. Let me pray, and then we will continue to worship the Lord through the last two remaining songs. Jesus, we, we need you, Lord. We need you. We thank you, Lord, because there are seasons in life where it is comfortable with its easy. The burden is light. God, and we need those seasons. But there are seasons where it is an absolute struggle. Lord, and we, so we we need you, Lord. We ask that you may help us. We ask that you may strengthen us. We ask that you may help us, God. Help us to recognize our need for you, Lord. If for whatever reason we are asleep or are just blind to our need for you. Help us to be a desperate people who long for you, who long to be conformed to your image. Help us to be marked by desperation and that would lead us to be a people who pray. Because whether in seasons of plenty or in seasons of lack, we will always need you. We thank you, Lord, for being all that we need and providing us with everything that we need in this life as we walk on this journey to the celestial city that awaits us. We trust you, God, for all these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, we're going to end this with a couple songs this morning. and um, I'm going to throw a little curveball. Don't worry about it with the words on the screen. It's all good. Um, let me just take a little bit of a curve from the song list that Devin sent me, only because as I'm just listening to it, Demi, I just think we need to cry out something together this morning. I think it would be very powerful. It's just, a, it's just a chorus. I want us to declare together as I'm listening to this. I'm, 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 it's connected with my spirit. We need to cry out in desperation for the Lord. And we just need to declare that we're desperate for him, that we're lost without him. So we're going to sing this old chorus, and it's very simple. It just says, I'm desperate for you, and I'm lost without you. Amen. So I want you to stand. The words aren't going to be in the screen, but it's that simple to sing. And I, 
I'm desperate for you. And I, I'm lost without you. for you Jesus and I I'm lost without you I'm desperate for you I'm lost without you I'm lost without you. I'm desperate and I'm desperate for you. I'm lost without you. for you and I I'm lost without you I'm desperate for you close out with some beautiful Christmas songs together this morning. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Come on. Round yon virgin mother and
because of that Jesus, because of that Lord, even in the hardest times, we sing this together, right? Joy. Joy to the world. That's the gift. That's the offer. That's the invitation. So let's just celebrate our way out of here today, God.
glad that you could worship with us this morning, and uh, hope that it was encouraging and blessing to you. And uh, may we continue to be, uh, may we be a people who are marked by prayer, uh, who are desperate uh, for more of Jesus, for desperate for the Lord uh, to come, and desperate for more of him in his life. As it said in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, that may the God of peace sanctify you completely and present you blameless before the Lord Jesus Christ. May you go in peace and uh, blessings to you and uh, you continue to pray throughout the week. Amen.